Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Azarin the Language Nerd here. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds, and welcome to today's podcast episode. First of all, I'd like to share a short anecdote. Earlier today, I was eating dinner, and I bit the inside of my mouth. Specifically, I bit the part that's right in front of the front bottom teeth in my mouth. So it's sort of left of center, and it's annoying because every time I talk, I feel this bump touching my teeth. And I'm kind of scared because it's almost at the top of my tooth level. So if I don't talk properly, my tooth will get stuck inside that bump, and that will hurt. It's really weird. I don't bite the inside of my mouth very often when I'm eating, but it happened today twice while I was eating dinner. Now it's got this bump in my mouth, and it's quite annoying. But anyway, that's not important. (laughs) So today, I want to talk about two different things. The first one is optimizing your routine for your daily routine to make the most progress you possibly can in whatever language you're learning and do so in such a way that you are prioritizing and keeping the best possible mental health. A lot of people when studying languages get frustrated. It becomes a stressful process, a non-enjoyable process. And so if you are in that boat, I think the the things that I share today are going to help. And the second thing I want to do is I want to talk about something that will help you with your language learning, but I think it'll help you in other aspects of life too. And it has to do with neuroplasticity. So we'll talk about that in the second half of the podcast. Okay, let's start with routines. So I've said many times on this podcast that I am a night owl. I've said this probably something like 50 times. And my entire life, I have felt like I'm a night owl. This is because even at the age of five and six and four, like really, really little, even when I was young, I did not like waking up early. I'd be dead in the mornings. And finally, as an adult, when I graduated university, I started to run the Calgary Language Nerds, and I had full control over my schedule. I found that I felt much better when I would sleep late and wake up late. But then something happened a couple days ago. I've told you, actually a couple weeks ago, sorry. So I've told you a few times in recent podcast episodes that I have, I have been consuming Dr. Andrew Huberman's work on neuroscience. He has podcasts, he has videos, he has articles as well. And in one of the videos he talked about night owls. And he said most people who think they are night owls actually are not night owls. Now me thinking I am a night owl and thinking that I've been one my whole life was pretty surprised to hear this. So I continued to listen. And basically what he outlined was people who think they're night owls, essentially what's happening is they're not getting sunlight at the right parts of the day and they're getting artificial light all at the wrong times of the day. And that blew my mind. So I tested out the things that he was sharing, the advice he shared, and lo and behold, I am like literally two or three days later, I am no longer a night owl. Weird, right? After 30 years of being a night owl, or maybe a little less, because, you know, let's say 
when I started going to school, that's really when I knew I wasn't a morning person. So it's like 25 years of being a night person. And now after two or three days of listening to what Andrew Huberman had to say and following a couple of the shifts and practices he mentioned, he, he recommends, I find myself not being a night owl. It's really weird for me. Now, you might be thinking, what's the connection to this with languages? Well, the connection is that when you're not getting the right amount of sleep and you don't have your morning and your nighttime routine in a really good place, you don't have a morning and nighttime routine that just makes sense biologically, neurochemically, is that a word? Neuroscientifically. When you don't have a good one, it impacts your entire day. You actually learn worse because of it. You learn slower, you're more anxious, you're more stressed, you're more tired, you don't feel good. You know, in fact, in um, this one individual's podcast and videos and such, one thing he says is one of the reasons for the increase in people's anxiety and stress nowadays, one reason of many, it's not the only one, but one big one is that people are not getting light at the right parts of the day and they're getting too much artificial light at the wrong parts of the day. And that's messing up their sleep cycles. And in a nutshell, people are jet lagged, even though they're in their home country. So what I wanna share with you today are some of the key fundamentals of a daily routine that will, well, at least for most people, according to Dr. Andrew Huberman, according to what's happened in my life, according to what's happening in the people's lives that I've shared this with that I know and they are trying it and it's like working like magic. It seems to work for most people. I want to share this on the podcast because it's going to benefit the vast majority of you. I should mention, and Dr. Andrew Huberman says this too, he says that there are there is a small percentage of people that actually have a, I believe he calls it a genetic polymorphism, I think he calls it, where you actually are genetically a night person. You are more a night person than a day person. And so that could be you, but most people do not fall into this bucket. So here are the keys for a good daily routine. Things that basically need to be there because A, the negative consequences of them not being there are drastic. And B, the positive consequences of you doing these are, are, are amazing. So really bad negative consequences for not doing them. Really good positive benefits if you do them. Okay. So the first one, I'm actually going to open my notes here to make sure I get this right. Okay. So the first one, and the first one has to do with sunlight. Okay. So apparently we all have a body clock. Now I'm not an expert in this topic. I'm paraphrasing my understanding from Dr. Andrew Huberman's work. If you literally just search Andrew Huberman on YouTube, uh, even Andrew Huberman sleep, you're going to find probably about six to six ish hours of videos where he talks about sleep. I haven't watched them all yet, but uh, I've watched a good chunk of them. So I'm trying to summarize to the best of my ability, but here's my understanding. So when you wake up within the first 60 minutes, you have to get sunlight, direct sunlight, not through your window, not through curtains, like you go outside and you need to catch direct sunlight. You, you need to see it with your eyes. You don't need to look at the sun. That's not good. You might burn your eyes out. Don't do that. But you need to see the sunlight. 
You can go for a walk, you can just stand there, you can do whatever you want. That basically sets your body clock. It tells your, more, it tells your body, hey look, it's the morning time. Because clocks are a more recent invention, we didn't have clocks, to my understanding, for most of human history. And so our body has a clock inside of it. Andrew Huberman talks more scientifically what part of the brain the clock resides in, how it works. He talks about it far more scientifically than I will today. But it sets the clock. If you want to get really technical about it, you want to get a 100,000 lux, L-U-X, that's a a scientific measurement of light intensity from what I understand. I use an app called Light Meter on my phone. And so it detects how many lux are in a room or in the sun. When I go in the morning, if it's, if it's a sunny day, there's like easily 50,000 lux coming from the sun. Uh, you calculate this, if you're trying to get 100,000, you calculate it per minute. So if there's 50,000 lux coming from the sun, you really need, only need to be out there for two minutes. You can be there for longer, nothing is wrong with that, but if it's a cloudy day, you're going to have a lot less lux in the air. So here in Calgary, when it's cloudy, you know, I'm typically getting like 5,000 lux, something like that, 5,000, 6,000, something to that effect. So you need to stay out a little bit longer. You couldn't just do two minutes, maybe it's half an hour or something to that effect. And then that sets the clock. And it has to, you have to see it with your eyes. It's not, the, it's not exactly your skin, it's in your eyes. It's the photon receptors in your eyes. That sets your clock. Now you've got to do the same thing. You need to, I'm not sure how many lux, I can't, I haven't really seen um, Andrew Huberman talk about how much you need in the afternoon. But late afternoon, you also need to get some sunlight again. That tells your body, hey, look, it's the late afternoon time. The sun is starting to go down. Um, when you're doing this in the morning time, you have to catch an early rising sun. It cannot be like a, tw a noon sun or a 12 p.m. sun. It's an early morning, kind of a morning sun. doesn't have to be exactly at sunrise, but it has to be a low sun. And same thing with the late afternoon. It's not sunset per se. It's more like a, a sun that is starting to set, kind of a low sun again, but on the setting side of things and not the rising side. So I've been doing that. Also at nighttime, so the longer the day goes on, in the morning, your if I if I got this right, it's something like in the morning times and the daytime, your the, the receptors in your eyes are not as sensitive to light. But the more the later you go out in the day, the more and more sensitive they get. So later at nighttime, they're they're quite sensitive. And the thing that's ironic in a bad way is that at nighttime is where you don't want to have lots of light, and yet this is where the where your eyes are the most sensitive to light. So if you're getting a lot of light from phones or televisions or lights in the house at nighttime, your body's basically saying, oh, it's still daytime. It's not time to sleep yet. And so what you have to do is you have to dim the lights in your house as much as possible, particularly overhead lights, because overhead lights mimic, in a sense, the sun. And so your brain goes, oh, the sun's out. Of course, it's just a light in your house. But so then you can't get to sleep as easily. It affects your sleep. So you need to dim lights, particularly overhead lights. Apparently, I think it was in one of... I'm, I'm partway through Andrew Huberman's podcast on jet lag. Um, his whole thing is people are literally walking around jet lagged in their own cities because their light exposure is so wonky. So what he says is, if you get... I think it was one or 2,000 lux. So again, that's you calculate that per minute. So if you're in your house, you've got a light that's emanating 
300 lux, if you were to like sit there in that light for a minute, that would count as 300 for that minute. Does that make sense? So if you, I think he said something like 1,000 to 2,000 lux is enough to shift to your body clock. And so your brain still thinks it's daytime and not nighttime. So it's, that's not a lot. So you got to have the lights pretty dim. So you got to dim all the lights, no phone, no TV, no screens, right? Darkness, pretty dark in your house, just enough to kind of walk around and see where you're going, things like that. Uh, especially, and you want to keep the over, overhead lights particularly importantly off or very dim. Um, and then what you want to do is just kind of spend your time in relaxing ways. You can read, you can do some extra, some light stretching or exercise, crossword puzzles, you can meditate, whatever you want, but you want to do that. I think if I remember correctly, I've been doing it like an hour, maybe hour and a bit before bed is when I start to do this. And then I go, then I go to sleep. Right. And that's just completely changed how I feel throughout the day. Now I wasn't a very anxious person per se, but I feel more calm more calm like i feel calmer throughout the day more grounded i feel more in my own body and my skin my brain's not moving quite as fast and as frantically much just a lot calmer and more grounded and that's probably the best way to put it i'm also getting a little bit more sleep than i used to i i've uh i've been waking up once in the middle of the night each night for the past few days but I think my body might just be adjusting. Like I still feel a lot better overall. I'm curious to see if I wake up once. I used to never wake up even once in the night, but lately I've been waking up once in the night and then I go back to sleep. So we'll see if that keeps going on. But so far it's been really, really good. Um, in the morning, if you wake up and you don't feel, you don't feel fully rested because maybe you had a poor sleep. Uh, Andrew Huberman recommends doing a, he calls them NSDR protocols. So it's a non-sleep, non-sleep deep rest protocol. One of his favorite ones is called Yoga Nidra. Yoga like yoga, Nidra is N-I-D-R-A. If you search it on YouTube, you find lots of different people that have these 10 to 30 minute, sometimes even longer, Yoga Nidra sessions where it's it's it simulates sleep in a sense and lets you catch up on some sleep that maybe you lost during the nighttime. So this is a, a lot of focus on sleep. And you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with language? Well, to be honest with you, the thing that has to do with language is that if you're not sleeping, you're not learning. You don't sleep while you don't learn. So the, the cool thing and interesting thing is you don't learn when you're awake from what I can tell as I'm learning about neuroscience. I've been learning more about neuroscience really for the year because I've been learning about the brain for the past six to eight months. Um... And it seems to me, from what I understand, that you don't really do most of your learning throughout the day. Most of your learning happens when you're sleeping because your brain is storing all the information and learning while you're sleeping. And so if you're not sleeping well, you're not learning very well, which means that you're not learning, you're not progressing as quickly as you could with your languages, as well as other things you're trying to learn. That means your work performance is hurt, your language performance is hurt, your performance as a whole is, is hurt. It's held back. So it's, it's quite important to get that light in the morning, get that af late afternoon light, sunlight, direct sunlight outside. Um, turn those lights off at nighttime, about an hour or so before bed. I do a little longer sometimes, right? Relax before bed, go to sleep. Like these things are quite important, I've been finding. So this has been a new routine for me and it's made a world of, a world of, of difference. 
So again, maybe this isn't what you initially thought when you came into the episode. You might have thought I had some specific language hack, but I think the sleep one is actually far more, far more powerful. I would highly recommend you go search in YouTube or just Google Andrew Huberman Sleep. As I said, he has six or more hours, I think, something like that of content across different podcasts and videos and such that talk about sleep and how to get better at sleep and why you have to sleep and what do you do if you work shift work? What do you do if you're traveling all the time and you're jet lagged? Like, how do you handle that? You know, how to use artificial lights and red lights and this and that. It's, it's really, really interesting. I haven't even got through all of it quite yet. I've also been told, I've heard this from many people, I haven't gotten around to reading it yet because I have so many books I'm reading and trying to get through, but there's also uh, a book which is called Why We Sleep by Matt Walker. You've probably heard of it or many of you probably have. That's another book on my reading list right now. Okay, so that's what I want to talk about the, to kick things off, that, that whole sleep and light routine. It's been really good for me, for my languages, my, my, my clarity of thoughts and so on and so forth. What I want to share next is a little bit less, um, I might not articulate myself as clearly as I would like to because I've, I'm still trying to figure this out. So um, let's talk about neuroplasticity. So my understanding of neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to learn. If, you have a lot, if your brain is very plastic, you're able to learn quite quickly, you're able to adapt. And if it's not very plastic, then well, you're not able to learn very quickly, adapt, so on and so forth. And uh, one thing I learned again from Andrew Huberman recently is uh, when you're frustrated because you're trying to do something and you're not successful, that's triggering neuroplasticity in your brain. So actually, you want to seek, you want to seek out and accept errors. That's important with language. It's important with anything you try to learn. You want to seek out, anticipate, and accept errors because that means you're you're triggering a neuroplasticity response or something like that in your brain. And that's very, very, it's actually crucial for brain health, which is crucial for, well, the health of the health and functioning of your body as a whole for the long term. Okay. Now I mentioned maybe a couple months ago, if I remember correctly, maybe it was a couple months ago that I was in a meditation and one of the messages that came out of, I came out with, when I did the meditation was that I'm on the wrong path, which seemed really bizarre to me because I felt like I was on the right path. And I was like, wow, what the heck does that even mean? And in my meditation, the messaging that I walked out with was, well, if you're on the wrong path, you need to go look for the right path. In order to look for the right path, you have to go try different paths. In order to find, to try different paths, you have to do things that you wouldn't typically do. So I've been doing that. So for instance, as you know, I've been taking swimming lessons for the past couple of months. That's something I definitely would not do. I don't, I never, never really liked the water per se. I don't really, I wouldn't really, don't really want to go swim. I don't want to do it per se. Um, the other day I went to a sip and paint night. So a sip and paint basically means you're in a group of people. There's an artist. She guides you through how to, how to paint something. You try to follow along. Some people have a glass of wine while they're doing it. And off you go. I'm terrible at painting. The person running the sip and paint is a friend of mine. I told her that the painting I did would be the worst painting she's ever seen in her life. That's highly probable. She assured me it wouldn't be the case. But then after seeing my painting, she was like, you were right. 
this is perhaps the worst painting I've seen in my life. And I was like, yeah, I figured this would be very hard for me. It was embarrassing. It was frustrating. It was difficult. Um, it's a bit scary going to it because I was like, I don't know what to expect. But that's triggering, that's triggering, uh, what's the word? A, uh, a neuroplasticity response. I don't know if that's the right term exactly, but it's good for your brain. It's good for the neuroplasticity of your brain because you're learning something new. You're, you're, you're making these new pathways in the brain. <clears throat> so after coming home from it, I was writing down, I was doing some journaling and writing. And basically the conclusion I came to, and I've had this conclusion before, but I came to it in a much stronger and a much more convicted way that I have to deliberately put myself in embarrassing, scary, difficult, and or uncomfortable situations. So scary, embarrassing, scary, difficult, and or uncomfortable situations. And frustrating. I can even add frustrating onto that list, although I didn't write that in my notebook. Now, you might be thinking, what's the whole connection to language? I know I'm bouncing around a bit. Let, let's tie it all together now. My experience so far in the past couple of months has, been, has shown me something interesting. And it's shown me that when you do things that are hard, that are embarrassing, that are frustrating, scary, uncomfortable, when you do them, your brain starts to make different connections that it didn't make before. It's something like you getting smarter. Maybe that's the right the way to put it. You actually get smarter. That's been my experience. So my brain has started to make connections that I hadn't ever made before, and they're helping me in my day-to-day -day life. I'll give you an example. This is one of the big ones. I read, I know I'm bouncing around here, but please stick with me. There's, they're all connected. As you would know, I read David Goggins' book, which is called You Can't Hurt Me. David Goggins talks about a concept in his book, which is taking souls. I'll be honest with you, the concept didn't really make sense to me when I first read it. Then I decided I wanted to take cold showers, not as a result of David Goggins' work, but just when I started to understand some of the health benefits of it. And then I thought to myself, that would be a good challenge. Let me just try to do this. So I, I do this every day now. I take cold, cold showers. When I started to take cold showers... I, my brain created a game with the shower. The game is I, I, I pretend a shower head is a real living being and I can't let the shower head win. So when the shower head is sprouting out, spewing out all the ice cold water, I can't turn the hot water on. I can't let him win. He's trying to wear me down and I can't let it happen. I'm going to win that fight. I'm going to beat the shower head. It sounds so silly, but that's literally what I think. Okay. I'm going to be better than that situation. I'm going to overcome this discomfort. Then I, when I'm in the shower, for the last few minutes, I turn the water hot. When the water's hot, I still got to beat the shower head because the hot water lulls you in and tries to make you stay there longer because it's so comfortable, especially after you're freezing cold. But I can't let the shower head win so I, I turn the hot water on for a bit, but then I turn it off sooner than I would like. Okay, I can't let him win. Then when I went painting, I, got, I know I'm bouncing around, guys, but stick with me. I went painting at the paint night. 
I got this painting. It's awful. It's not good at all. Some people looked at it, didn't even know what I painted. Some people noticed, they at least know what I did, but it's not very good, let's say. And I'm looking at the painting and I had the thought, just like you can't let the showerhead win, you can't let that painting win. You need to beat the painting, meaning that you need to get better at painting. Even if it, I don't need to become a professional painter, but I need to become a moderately bad painter instead of the worst painter that one of the worst painters that might exist. <laughs> Even a moderately bad painter is a step up. It's better. I can't let the painting win. With my swimming, I can't let the water win. I've got to win. I need to overcome the water. I need to be better. I need to learn how to navigate myself in the water and say, look, water, you can't drown me. Look, water, you don't scare me. Hey, look, showerhead, you got cold water in you, but I can take it. Hey, look, painting, you thought you thought you can mock me with all this bad painting that I did? Look what you're showing me? Well, I'm going to show you a better painting. It's, it's, it's irrational in a sense, but that's the thought process, which helped me understand David Goggins' idea of taking souls. That's basically what his, it's roughly speaking what his idea is. When he's in the Navy SEALs and he's going through Hell Week, and he wants to take the souls of the examinators or whatever you call them, the, the sergeants and whatnot. What he's saying is, hey, look, you can't break me. You can't beat me. You're putting me through hell week. You can't beat, you can't break me is basically what he's saying, right? Um, and so it's interesting that when you do things that are hard, frustrating, embarrassing, difficult, uncomfortable, it triggers, from what I can tell, it triggers a neuroplasticity it increases the neuroplasticity of your brain. And as you're increasing the neuroplasticity of your brain, what happens is, is your brain starts to make new connections that allow you to succeed in different parts of your life and improves the lives of others around you. It's something like that. Because now that I have this new tool in my brain that, oh, I can externalize an object and tell the object, you can't beat me. And I have that gear, which I didn't have before. It's a new gear I've discovered. That means when I'm working out and I need to push through, I can say to my fatigue, hey, fatigue, you can't beat me. And I have that gear in me. It means that when I'm stretching and I want to get my hamstrings more flexible, I can tell my hamstrings, hey, you don't want to stretch more and such. but And you're tight, but you can't beat me. I'm going to make them more flexible. Watch me. right? Watch me go. Watch me do this. When I'm learning a language and it's really hard, I can go, hey, language, hey, Mr. Arabic, you can't beat me. I'm going to learn you. Just wait. Just watch. But I just learned that through putting myself in different difficult and challenging and embarrassing situations that have triggered a neuroplasticity response in my brain, something like that. And that thought just showed up out of somewhere. You know, even, my, even uh, with my sleeping now, I've been telling people this. My mom has had difficulty with sleeping for years, years. I told her this light thing. She started to do it. Boom. Way better sleep all of a sudden. Waking up, or waking up not as tired, sleeping better. I was like, huh. My sister, same thing. Not that she had major sleep issues, but I've noticed she's, her sleep has changed. Her sleep quality has changed. And I'm like, wow, I might have just added 10, 10 years to their lives. Because when you're not sleeping well, you die sooner. And I thought, wow, I just added maybe 10 years to two people's lives. And then 10 good high quality years. 
again, why? By me going about learning new things, making myself better, putting myself in situations that pushes my neuroplasticity. And I just added 10 years, maybe something like 10 years to two people's lives. Like, wow, that's amazing. So cool. And I've just become better. I'm a better person than I used to be. So if we wrap all this, if we wrap this entire podcast up into a nice little bow, here's perhaps the way to wrap it all up and conclude. First of all, I've learned that I'm not, not most people from what I can tell from what this one neuroscientist says. It seems like he's not the only one from what I can tell. Most people are not night owls, even if they think they are. It's just that their light exposure is all wrong. They're getting light at the wrong times of the day, and they're not getting light at the times where they should be getting light in the day. So by fixing that and getting sunlight nice and early, 100,000 lux, roughly speaking, you're getting sunlight again late afternoon. You're limiting your light at your light exposure, and you're darkening your environment as much as possible at nighttime, at least an hour or so before. You know, that makes a huge difference. And then second of all, the power of neuroplasticity, doing things on purpose, deliberately that are difficult, embarrassing, scary, uncomfortable, frustrating, and doing them regularly makes you more plastic, makes your brain more plastic, increases neuroplasticity. And as that happens, your brain starts to make new connections and those new connections allow you to have a, make a positive impact on, of course, your language learning, but far more than that throughout your day-to-day throughout your day-to-day life, which as an extension allows you to improve the lives of the people that you interact with most frequently. Because look, I have experienced this light phenomenon and now I'm telling people and it's helping, it's helping other people too. And now you're listening to it and it might help a bunch of you. So that's just really cool. So, all right, well, I guess we'll wrap this up here. This has been going on long enough. Have a wonderful rest of your day and uh, we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.